Hello everyone, welcome back to the Salem Witch Trials. Let's begin with a writing of Cotton Mather's Diary, January the 15th, 1697. Being afflicted last night with the discouraging thoughts as if unavoidable marks of the divine displeasure must overtake my family. For my not appearing with vigour enough to stop the proceedings of the judges, when the inextricable storm from the invisible world assaulted the country. October the 12th, 1692. Governor Sir William Phipps wrote to William Blaithwaite, the clerk of the Privy Council, to inform him of the witchcraft crisis. Phipps deflected the blame for the affair, misleadingly claiming that he had missed most of the trials, for he was almost the whole time of the proceeding abroad, building forts and trying to win the war in Maine. He had left the colony and the trials in the hands of Deputy Governor Stoughton, and depended upon the judgment of the court as to the right method of proceeding in cases of witchcraft. What he came home to find, however, was many persons in a strange ferment of dis satisfaction, and some people in jail who were doubtless innocent, and to my certain knowledge of good reputation. He was therefore going to stop further arrests and, to calm things down, ban any publications on the matter. I have also put a stop to a printing of any discourses, one way or another, that may increase the needless disputes of people upon this occasion because I saw a likelihood of kindling an extinguishable flame if I should admit my public and open contests. On the surface, Phipps' actions sounded like a sensible short-term plan to allow matters to cool off. Yet, it was also calculated, a very calculated move on his part, designed to redirect blame and squelch the growing opposition to the trials, which threatened to bring down the government. Phipps' action ultimately saved his fragile government and preserved the Bay Colony's new royal charter. However, it came at a substantial cost, for the curving of the free speech about the witch trials was a key element of what effectively became the first large-scale government cover-up in American history. In the months and years following the trials, the government would come increasingly under criticism, placing the Puritan covenant with God in jeopardy once again. Collectively, the concerns raised about the trials changed people's views of their government and helped bring to an end the Puritan theocracy. In trying to put out a fire by suppressing the truth, Phipps actually lit an inextinguishable flame that guaranteed that the Salem injustices would never be forgotten. Furthermore, despite Phipps' efforts to preserve the Puritan state and maintain the status quo, the witch trials would trigger political, social and religious changes that would transform the Bay Colony. Fake span came in response to a growing unease with the seemingly endless proceedings and a flurry of publications. Reverend Deodat Lawson's A Brief and True Narrative of Witchcraft at Salem Village had by then been out for several months, and books by three of the ministers would be available to the reading public of Boston by October the 28th. Word was spreading in other ways, too, and notably Thomas Brathel's October 8 manuscript letter. 
Pips knew about increased mothers' cases of conscience concerning evil spirits, personating men, and Samuel Willard's some miscellany observations on our present debates respecting witchcrafts, as both were circulating in manuscript. Mother's manuscript was specifically shared with Phipps, as it reflected the thinking of the elder mother and many of the senior ministers of the colony. The elder mother and Willard made simple arguments, suggesting that extreme care should be used in trying people accused of witchcraft. Even Mother's title reflected this view, for it was a homage to Englishman John Gowell's Select Cases of Conscience Touching Witches and Witchcrafts, that was 1646, which urged caution to prosecutions. Both Mother and Willard readily acknowledged the existence of Satan and his ability to harm people, with or without the assistance of witches. However, in a view that was now widely accepted by the Massachusetts clergy, Spectral evidence was not to be considered reliable because the devil could use the image of innocent people to harm others. They questioned the authenticity of the touch test and suggested that some of the afflicted were possessed by Satan, making their testimony invalid. Concurrently, neither man criticised the judges or the jury. Willard tactfully ignored the rule while Mother observed that the devil had deluded them nonetheless. Mother seriously questioned the entire proceedings. The trials were doing more harm than good, and the legal system was failing in its duties. It were better that ten suspected witches should escape than one innocent person should be condemned. Because Mother was a close political ally and a confidant of government, Governor Phipps, the minister's opinion meant a great deal. Especially... It included the endorsements of 14 of the ministers and a supportive preface written by Willard. This book alone must have been enough to convince Sir William that the trials had to end. An early and relatively outspoken opponent of the trials, Samuel Willard, was one of the real heroes of the proceedings. As a young minister in Groton, he had dealt with the possession of Elizabeth Knapp, so he had experience with this sort of thing, that was going on in the Salem village. Willard had signed the return of several ministers, expressing his doubts over spectral evidence. And on June 19th, he preached a sermon suggesting it was possible for the devil to create spectres of innocent people. Not long after that, apparently during Rebecca Nurse's trial, one of the afflicted girls cries out in court that Reverend Willard was responsible for her torments. Clearly afflicted had gotten wind of Willard's concerns and felt threatened by him. The judges would not hear of it. Robert Caliph reported that she was sent out of the court and it was told about she was mistaken in the person. Presumably, Judges Seawall, Winthrop and Sergeant led the, this effort, as all three were members of Willard's South Church. Historians have often pointed out that Willard's opposition to the trials was related to his quarrels with Mathers, but his views were also rooted in his family ties, for he was a relative of an accused witch, John Willard. The exact relationship is unclear, as the names of John's parents, like those of many others in early New Englanders, are lost to time. Still, the circumstances suggest Samuel was John's uncle or cousin, a member of Willard's lived in Nashway region, um, that was Groton and Lancaster, at the edge of the frontier in central Massachusetts. 
Willard started his ministerial career in Grothen, where his father, Major Simon Willard, was a leading settler and patriarch of a large clan. John Willard had been living in this area on 30-acre grant of land, abutting the land of one of the Reverend Willard's brothers. Henry, just a year or two before, he was accused of witchcraft. One time when John was behaving strangely, his wife, Margaret, went to Henry Willard and Henry's brother Benjamin for help. John fled to Nashaway when a warrant was issued for his arrest in 1692. While John was in prison, Samuel preached sermons against the trials, and particularly condemning the validity of spectral evidence, as well as the testimony of the afflicted. His sermons went unheeded. John Willard was among the convicted witches hanged on August the 19th. Two days later, Samuel Willard may have helped Philip and Mary English to escape from the Boston jail and flee to New York. Willard's son, John, had already apparently aided the accused witch, Elizabeth Carey's escape from the Cambridge jail. Reverend Willard's book went to the press in mid-October, just after Phipps's ban. It was published under assumed names to protect him from being prosecuted. The title page announces the authors as P.E. and J.A., the initials of Philip English and another accused witch who had taken flight, John Alden. It was listed as published in Philadelphia by William Bradford, a printer there, for Ezekiah Husher. This was another, a subterfuge to skirt the publication ban, for the book was actually published in Boston. Hezekiah Usher was another accused witch who had fled, and like John Alden, he was a member of the Willard's Church. Willard structured the book as a debate between S. Salem and B. Boston, with his personal views being expressed by Boston. Both sides readily accepted the existence of witches. Boston even argues that the judges should execute them needed to be sufficient sufficient in their evidence that was found, while Salem argues that spectral evidence was sufficient. Boston counters by stressing arguments from Willard's sermons. The devil could take the shape of innocent people, and confessions that named other witches were not to be trusted. Several manuscript letters survive that suggest there was growing support for the views expressed by Mother and Willard. Major Robert Pike was the Massachusetts Bay Councillor and Salisbury Magistrate, who had collected dispositions used to convict and execute Susanna Martin. However, when Mary Bradbury, one of the most prominent women in Salisbury, was arrested, Pike had a change of heart. On August 8, he wrote a letter to the judge, Jonathan Corwin, raising his concerns about spectral evidence. Like Hogan Puritans steeped in the Old Testament, Pike knew that the witch of Ender had raised the devil in the likeness of Samuel, the greater Hebrew leader and prophet. Furthermore, it made a sense for witches to use their powers against the afflicted in the courtroom and thus to provide such public proof of their guilt. Self-interest teaches everyone better. Similarly, why would the devil use his confessing witches to accuse others who had signed his covenant unless the devil hath changed his nature and has now become a reformer to purge witches out of the world, out of the country, and out of churches, as it is to be believed, though a liar and a murderer from the very beginning. 
And that's the next part of the Salem Witch Trials. We'll continue again when we get back into it. And obviously we are on the extinguishable flames, so it's kind of everything that happens before and after. And maybe why it happened, I suppose. Thank you for listening and many blessings.